This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we watch sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, The Clone Master. If all those things happen, there's a day ahead of you, Simon. The day the clones come full cycle. When you have to face those carbon copies of yourself. The first human being to confront a true duplicate. Think about that, Simon. You'll never be totally prepared for it, but you've got to try. It won't be an easy time for you, but think of them. You've lived years. The clones will be new. They'll need you. You, the original. No, it won't be easy. But what an adventure. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast about the grotesque games of politics innocent scientists are forced to play. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Here's my favorite line from the from the movie. Steal my wallet, but don't steal my name. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> that's that's all you're allowed to steal. Yeah, that's right. I thought it was pretty good. There was a couple good lines in this. Well, before we get into this week's TV movie, it's important to know we're not alone. Uh, we're joined by returning guest Kevin this week. Welcome back, Kevin. Thank you very much, Luke. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's always a pleasure to have you. You always know so much about these uh, these projects we're watching, so it's always great to have your your brain in the room for it. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Because this week we're watching a 1978 TV movie slash failed pilot called The Clone Master. Um, and it's been a long road getting to The Clone Master because, Kevin, I think even dating back to the first time you may have been on the podcast, in passing, I think you might have mentioned you had wanted to watch The Clone Master at some point. <laughs> Yes, it's a funny thing. I actually looked this up today to figure out what the date was when I originally would have seen there was a TV special that was all about pilots that failed. And they showed you clips from all these pilots and they showed clips from the Clone Master. And because I had worked with Art Hindle before and I just immediately was amused at the idea of a room full of Art Hindles. And they used a great clip from the show that we can talk about when we get to talk about the show. And that was 1996. So from 1996 forward... I've been thinking, I gotta get me a chance to view the Clone Master. And I've every time I look on YouTube, look on Vimeo, keep my eyes open for bootlegs, was never able to come across it. So I definitely mentioned it to Jordan in the in the early days of this podcast. Yeah. Oh, I remember that because I uh, I think you mentioned it and Jordan had mentioned it to me, and then Jordan, like a clone trying to appease his papa. <laughs> He went out of his way to track this down over five years. <laughs> I did. Yeah, because the first thing, Kevin, was, uh, and I think I think really this file is yours, because I think you you paid for it, which, because I think we were talking, you were like, I'll, I'll pay anything to watch it. You may not have said that, but you would say, I'll pay upwards of $50 or something. And so I found a copy in Spain, a lady who had uh, a VHS copy, paid for it. She shipped it, and then week after week after week, I kept checking it, and I was like, do you have it? Has it? And she's like, I shipped it, I shipped it. And then it got to a point where I think she was getting irritated at me because she's like, it's sent. You you have it. And then I kept writing to her, writing to her, and it was like the relationship didn't get better, and then she just stopped answering me, and we never did get it. And then, Luke, how did we come across it? I think there was like a website or something we found that had like these clearly unofficial bootlegs of movies, and someone had digitized it, and so I was able to pay and download it. Yes, it's been a lot of it's been a lot of time and money have been sunk into tracking down a copy of the Clone Master. This is our most expensive pilot we've ever watched. <laughs> worth it though, I'd say worth I it. I think so. And you know what? Actually, there's there's a th- I was thinking about when I was watching this because Kevin, you mentioned there was clips you saw on that um, that best of show. I'm gonna assume 
none of those clips came from the first 45 minutes of the, sh- of the movie. <laughs> you are you are correct, sir. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was thinking, there's, there's like a, a parallel with this movie in our podcast, because I feel like the movie takes about half, like half of its time to get going. And I feel like the podcast has taken all these episodes just to get to the Clone Master. You know, <laughs> everything was everything was a rehearsal up to this five point. years building to this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the Clone Master, it was broadcast on September 14th, 1978. And we've watched a couple shows, Jordan, that happened around the Clone Master. Yeah, I think I know what they are. Do you know what they are? I think Project UFO. Yeah, the second season of Project UFO actually started a one week after the Clone Master airs. Yeah. Quark. Um, Quark is not quite in the same vicinity, mm. but it's, I think it might be the same year. What about Comeback Mrs. Noah? Yes. Comeback Mrs. Noah actually ended one month before Clone Master starts. So those are, those are the two closest vicinities to this, sh- this, this TV movie. Right. Nice shooting there, uh, Jordan. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 1978 is your favorite year, isn't it? It's, you know what we, well, it's, I think we've watched a lot of like really diverse kind of fun things. Like if you think about like this being on TV at the same time as Comeback Mrs. Noah. Like those are two very different science fiction shows. <laughs> same budget levels, but it's different shows. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get into it. Here's the IMDb summary for The Clone Master. In order to test the validity of his experiments on cloning, a scientist makes clones of himself, but it causes problems that he didn't foresee. I guess that's accurate. I don't think it is. I, I mean, sort of. Well, because... That's the weird thing about this is that it's almost not about clones or it's like they talk about it a lot, but the, it's like, it's sort of like, would you say it was espionage more? Yeah. I mean, certainly the, the, the thing that generates the plot motion is all this stuff about who's financing them and, and what they're being tricked into do and what lies they're telling, you know, um, uh, at one point you do wonder, are, is Art Hendel the bad guy in this movie? Is there a chance that... Yeah, I mean, Art Hendel's a bad guy. He's a bad guy for sure. <laughs> he's the hero, but yeah. he's the most unethical scientist you're ever going to meet. When they admit they've just been like, uh, skimming money off the top so they could just do their own project on the side. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, it really begins in a bizarre way, too, because it, it starts with a great 70s title treatment for the Clone Master. It just like whooshes into the screen. But then we have about four to five minutes of just techno babble of I guess it's them explaining their cloning process or just Art Hindle's voiceover as we watch him walk around the lab but it just keeps going on and on and it's all sort of just gobbledygook nonsense yeah it's it's all uh it's all very Star Trek you know uh, positronic net uh kind of uh talk and it's completely um inexplicable as to who he's saying it to and when he's saying it or if he's just thinking it because it seems like he's it's, he's recording his process like it's like 652 embryo interaction complete or whatever but his lips aren't moving and he's not writing anything down so i mean he's clearly just saying it for the audience's sake but it, it's a it's a peculiar sequence and it's totally boring it really sells you that he's a hard scientist you mm. you, you believe it by the end of that <laughs> do you think though that makes it interesting though to the viewer like do you think the viewer like let's say i don't know how the old how old someone would be watching this 15 years old or something think they were like man i really want all the details of how this cloning happens it's like no you want one of the clones to have a mustache and one to have a hat and one to have an <laughs> eye patch that's what you're waiting for not like how it happens they could just be like science anyways moving on you know yeah <laughs> and i was also I was laughing a lot in that sequence he keeps moving from one sort of clone vat to a different desk that is a computer on and everything is really far apart which makes it seem like an action scene because he keeps running from one place to another place but nothing's really happening he's just he's just a guy fiddling with a dial and then running over there and fiddling with some flashing lights 
It's all just setting you up to know this. This science is legitimate. It's real. <laughs> Don't you think their 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 space is too big for like two guys to work in? Like it's room Completely. after room, and it's and it's like even the room. Like obviously, you know, not a big spoiler. There's gonna be a room with a lot of vats in it for uh, with clones in them. But even that, it's like like you're saying, Kevin. He's got to run across the room to get to one or the other. I'm like, oh, like get yourself a wheeled chair. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but essentially what we come to know about this is uh, our hero, Dr. Simon Shane, is 73 hours away from producing, I don't know, what, like a dozen clones? It's hard to say how many clones he's producing, but there's quite a few of them. In the end, not to skip uh, any plot, but in the end they say that he bought 13 plane tickets, which implied to me that there were 13 clones. I thought maybe it was 12 plus him, but then we don't see him getting on a plane. So I think that some total is supposed to be 13. You never see 13 at one time, though. Yeah, that was my guess too. When they say that thirteen tickets thing, I was like, I guess it's twelve, or maybe he got and he got on a plane, or maybe it's uh, it's thirteen. It's hard to know for sure, but I think since it's the setup to a theoretical series, they're like, there's a lot of clones. Don't worry. Yeah. And uh, Art Hindle, who's uh, who's playing the Simon Shane, he's got a real good uh, '70s head of hair. Huh? Oh, totally. Yeah. He looks totally. great. Very Kennedy-esque. It's a very handsome man, actually. At any rate, Dr. Simon Shane, he's, he's a specialist in cloning at the, I guess, the biochemical department of some university. To so much to the point that uh, we, he, the title to the show comes from the fact that, I guess, around the university, people call him the clone master as his nickname. <laughs> we, which isn't that funny, though, that, like, you know, he's obviously known for doing this research. But in that scene, there's a scene later on where I think they say, like, super secret, I think is the term they use, or it's like very secret or something like that and they say it over and over and over i'm like well it's not that secret they're calling you clone master like i think we know what you're working on right kids are walking by him on the in the quad going yo clone master and he's like shh (laughs) no one's supposed to know (laughs) and at the university the chairman of the biochemical department dr ezra luthan he has uh, Shane working on this cloning project. And as you said, it's super secret. Nobody's talking about it. And it's happening in an abandoned space agency rocket lab that at some point Dr. Luthen had overhauled into a biological warfare bunker in case the Cold War heated up. And I guess they attacked with uh, biological warfare. But then since then, he's also now converted it a third time to a cloning lab. Yeah, that raised a lot of questions for me too. When you the first time you see Simon Shane entering that building and he doesn't have a key. I mean, eventually you see the security when he gets down to the actual clone part of the building. But the first door, the second door, the third door, he's just walking into these giant empty spaces that like it used to be a missile lab and a bio um uh, bioweapons lab. It seems very fishy to me. How the, how are the lights even on? It's, it's a real mystery, but I guess what it is is uh, the project has been funded to the tune of $90 million. <laughs> is that what they said? They gave that number? Yeah, which I did the math on. That's $400 million today. <laughs> <laughs> and all that funding, as far as they're aware, has been from a top-secret government expenditures. They've got, they've got a handler named Harry who's, who says he's working for the government. They are, they're working for some division. It's so secret they don't even know who they're working for. And they've been arriving with just briefcases of like $50 bills in the course of $90 million over I don't know how many years to like fund this project. Yeah, I mean, it, it becomes a plot point later that everyone else is incredulous that 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 Dr. Luthen and Simon Shane don't know who their benefactor is, that it's just a guy showing up with, with briefcases of money. And I guess by having other characters make fun of the idea, it's supposed to make it okay that the characters were stupid enough to do that, but it, it seems very odd. So like a guy walked into their lab one day and said, 
what if I gave you all the money? And by the way, I'm from the government, but I can't tell you from where in the government. And they went, it's fine, seems reasonable. I, I mean, I guess they wanted their own secret thing, right? They wanted to pursue their own thing, which was different than what they've told their benefactor that they're doing. Yeah, that's sort of where it gets even more complicated is that there's a benefactor. They don't know where it's coming from, but they assume it's the government because that's what they're told. And then it turns out Dr. Luthen, the head of this biochemical place, he hates politics. And he's he's at someone he complains. And I said this in the opening that how the politicians interfere with innocent scientists like him who just want to perform unethical cloning experiments without <laughs> oversight. So they've been telling their benefactors they've been trying to clone rabbits and that it's been going badly. But... While they're telling them that, they've actually been skimming the $90 million into a human cloning project that they haven't told them about. So there's like a secret project on top of a secret project on top of another secret project because they don't actually know who they're working for. So it's just like there's secret projects on secret projects and everybody's lying to everybody. <laughs> and I think I think the whole point of this is that the writers think this adds like this intrigue, but I, I don't think it does. Like it's weird that this is what propels the story of like, what happens, where's the money coming from, and what happened to Ezra and all this. But again, I was like, I just don't know, like, your show's about clones. Like, that's your ticket. That's that's the moneymaker there. Like, why are we spending all this time on this other, like, subterfuge? But maybe that's just kind of um, of its time. Like, do you think it's just that that's what the audience was expecting at this time, this sort of, I don't know, uh, extra... Uh, it's a lot uh, of setup. We need a lot of setup to explain the clones, to get ready for the series. We need all this backstory. It's very rich and deep. But that's that's a good <laughs> good point, because this was this was a pilot, but do you think that was going to be what the 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 crux of the show was going to be? They were always going to be dealing with this, sh- like these shadowy organizations? Well, we can talk about it when we get to the end, I guess, because I was genuinely surprised. Up to five minutes from the end of the show, I was like, how is this a TV series? I do not understand what the next episode is. And then when it gets to the very end, you go, oh, they give you a little sneak peek of Simon hearing from the other clones and you understand what each episode is going to be like. And it's it's pretty bizarre. It's not your typical... um, it's a little bit like the Incredible Hulk. It's a little bit like a guy on the run with people who know that he has a secret chasing him. Um, but it's not that because it's a bunch of people on the run um, who are all the same guy, but in 13 different towns, I guess. I don't, it's, it's a very peculiar thing. And, and back to what you were saying too, uh, Jordan, about the, the sort of the empty puffery of the first half of this pilot. It felt mm-hmm. to me like there... There really was two episodes that were stapled together to make this TV movie. That's what it felt like, right? And it felt like the first episode has Ralph Bellamy in it, who's the guy who plays Dr. Luthen, old-timey mm-hmm. Hollywood star, now slumming it in TV. Um, and he doesn't appear in the second episode. And I kept thinking, aren't they going to show us more Dr. Luthen? Aren't they, are, are we going to resolve the mystery of Dr. Luthen, which I guess we'll talk about in a second? But I, I realized, no, they can't because he's not in that episode. <laughs> he's only in the first episode. So <laughs> Ralph isn't here. or We can't do another scene with Ralph. It just felt like shoe leather. Like it just felt like setup. It just felt like you could excise that first hour or first forty-five minutes, first episode, and the second episode would be more exciting. There would be a little bit of setup you have to do, but all the fun stuff happens in the second half, and all of the kind of boring explaining how they were financed and how they were duping people and um, and uh, meeting Gussie, another very important thing that has to happen in the first half. Uh, all that stuff feels unnecessary. Yeah, it's kind of all first act. It's all first act. And like by the time you get to the end of an hour and a half, you're like, time for the show to start. <laughs> yes. 
But at any rate, Harry, this handler who's been delivering the money, he's a bit upset and suspicious that they have not made any progress over the many years they've apparently been working on this cloning project. And he's hidden a microphone in Dr. Luthen's office, trying to get the real dirt, trying to, like, bug them to figure out what's going on. And after he drops off another briefcase of money and warns them this might be the last one if they don't show results, Harry goes to meet with his boss, Mr. Salt, a man who has parked his sports car on the beach next to the ocean. <laughs> I, I love this guy. I thought he was great. <laughs> we very quickly come to realize Mr. Salt is not actually with the government. He seems to just be an excessively rich businessman who wants to sell clones to governments around the world. And... He's seems to be fine. When Herrick shows up, he's just like, Harry's mad that there's no results. And Mr. Salt's like, what do you care? It's my money. I'm happy to wait as long as it takes to get these clones. And Harry's like, well, I have bugged their office so we can get information. And somehow Mr. Salt's like, yeah, I know you have a bug in there. I've known for weeks. You just didn't tell me. Um, and I'm mad at you for putting the bug in the office because it's going to interfere with their work or something. And then he proceeds to lock harry in his car and throw like poisonous gas in there and kill harry i was just like this this bad guy is real chill about the his money going away and he and he had this plan thought out well enough that he had another car nearby or was that harry's car that he went into i, I was think like, it was harry's car i think he took harry's oh, car. okay he walks away from his own car on the beach as the tide is coming in and goes to take harry's car i will say they don't do poison gas like this anymore just that like really green smoky like pen that he breaks open totally it's like i'm like oh you know that's poisonous there are several batman 1966 <laughs> moments in this uh and that was the first one that's something the riddler would do a hundred percent break open a thing and have green gas go whoosh, and then throw it in a room and run away that's a complete <laughs> frank but isn't it funny trip. it's 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 interesting you mentioned that because there is a shorthand to that sort of thing because they didn't even just see it. As soon as you see it's a green smoke, you as a viewer of TV go, that's bad. But it's yeah. funny that they, they, they use that as a time saver, but then they spent 10 minutes of Art Hindle talking about the genetics of clones. And I was like, you don't need any of that. You could just have had like, you could just have like an ear or something. And he like, he touches it. And I'm like, oh, clones, you know, like it's just, it's just so funny where they, where they want to take their time. Mm-hmm. It's true. Um, we go back to the university very quickly because we have to introduce the third lead character, or I guess that she's only the second lead character, but in the terms of a pilot, she comes in third. Dr. Luthen is supposed to give feedback on a grad student's project. He's the, he's the chairman of biochemistry, and he's given this project, and he sees it, and it's a, he's like, this is very good. It's a very good project, but I need to motivate this student, so I'm going to tell her everything is wrong with her model for, I don't know, it's like chromosomes or something. And then who should storm in after this is uh, grad student Augusta Gussie Wojak, who immediately shows up. And I like the character for this as she walks in and she immediately calls Dr. Luther on his bullshit. And he has to, like, walk it back and apologize. <laughs> and Luke, did you recognize her from uh, another TV show we've seen? No, I didn't. Who's she? Where's she from? Oh, it's it's well, it's Robin Douglas is uh, played J.B. Hamilton in Galactica 1980. No, oh, that's Jamie Hamilton. That's very funny. Yeah. A few a few years later, she'd be she'd be working on a show that didn't get another season. <laughs> <laughs> she got a full she got she got to record a lot more episodes for that one than this. That's one. true. <laughs> um, but she's just sort of introduced here because we're going to need a few more characters involved. And uh, after Doctor Lucian sort of apologizes for like messing her around, it was just such a weird scene. She's like, he's just like, I'm going to fuck with this student's research for no apparent reason. But as an apology, he's just like, let's all go have a picnic on the lawn outside of the university. <laughs> Yes, a very awkward picnic. Yeah. Did they ever say what university it's supposed to be? 
No, I assume California somewhere, but that's just probably because that's where it was shot. Mm. Yeah, when you'd see the, the research lab out in the desert, it felt very California. But at one point, Simon Shane talked about taking a red eye from a red eye flight from Washington back to the university. And I don't think that really works going that direction. I think red eye flights are always about coming east. But then I decided not to think about it anymore. <laughs> you almost pinpointed their location. <laughs> But this lunch, it's, it's Dr. Luthen, it's Dr. Shane, and it's Gussie. And they're interrupted by a police detective who wants to know what happened to Harry. They found him. He's not dead. He's in some sort of waking death at a hospital somewhere. And they're going to rule it a murder because despite him being alive, they're like, for all intents and purposes, that man is dead. <laughs> they actually declare at one point that he's legally dead, which <laughs> I don't think a breathing person could ever be legally dead. It's and that's very no, fun. Yeah, that made me laugh out loud. Legally dead. So you don't have to pay attention to him anymore. He's over there begging for food and water, but it's fine. He's legally dead. Um, and the only thing on Harry when he was found was a address book that with Dr. Luthen's name in it. So that's why the police is the police are here. And the words clone were scrawled on the dashboard of it. Um, so they're like, we need to know what's happening. And at some point, the police, as they're looking into it, will tell, uh, will tell them, like, we found bugs in your office. Like, there's a lot going on here. We don't know what's happening. This man has your name, has clones written on his dashboard, and we're finding bugs he's planted in your office. But, of course, Dr. Luthen and Dr. St- Dr. Shane, they're like, hey, listen, we're working on a top-secret project, so we can't tell you anything. We won't help the police in any way to solve this crime. Yeah, I didn't quite... I don't think that's how it works. I, I think if the police come to you and say, you seem to know something about this murder, you can't go, yeah, peace out. I can't. Just, I can't. For reasons I can't even... I can't even tell you the reasons why I can't tell you what I know about the murdered guy. I, I don't I don't think that's a, a defense you What I take. like is how long that scene went, though. He was like, can you tell me? They're like, sorry, we can't. And he's like... But I'm a police officer. Like, we just can't. It's secret. And he's like, what do you mean? Do you don't or you can't or won't? They're like, it's a secret. It just kept going. I was like, I think we've made our point. They're not going to tell you. The scene doesn't need to be longer, everyone. I think this exists in a world where the assumption is most college professors have some sort of secret government project on the go. So that it's not like when the police ask him and they're like, it's secret. He's like, ah, another secret project I can't ask about. Okay. Also, uh, Ed Lautner, who plays a detective bender. He's one of those actors. He always was about 55 years old, right? Yes, yes. I think he was bald from in his 20s, and he just always, right through his career, always looked like that guy. Yeah. Well, our scientists, they go to check on Harry, because as we've said, he's legally dead, but he's not actually dead. (laughs) And he's in this hospital. When they go to talk to him, he's conscious enough to look at them and whisper the word salt. Um, So they get a little clue as to what might have happened to him in, in, in his boss Mr. Salt and uh, they're unnerved and they kind of return back to their office and they need to figure out what's happened because without their contact to the government they have no way of discussing their secret project or getting more money and Dr. Lucen's like we got to go to Washington Dr. Shane I'm old I'm going to stay here (laughs) but if you can fly to Washington for me and just like go ask around just walk around Washington just asking people if they've heard of this secret project we're working on insane it's a hilarious sequence, and I liked how it was shot because it's it's essentially Doctor Shane having a conversation where he's just like talking about the project and like, ha- like without going into details and asking if people have heard of it. But every time they cut to the person he's like talking to, they always they change location. So it's like a military guy, it's a guy in the Senate, it's a it's someone from the DOD. It's it, it's always changing. But by the end of this sort of sequence of like this montage, everyone apparently has told Harry 
or sorry, has told Dr. Shane that he is stupid for not knowing what government department he works for. And Dr. Shane gets so mad, he threatens to punch someone in the mouth for calling him stupid again. And I was just like, well, they have a point. You might be stupid. (laughs) And this is Batman 1966 reference number two, because for no apparent reason... All of those scenes are at these strong Dutch angles, like like the Joker's hideout, like and, and they're matching Dutch angles. So it's tilted to the left when you're looking in one direction, and when you turn around, it's tilted to the right, as if they're on a ship at sea. It, it's totally bonkers. I guess it matches uh, Doctor Shane's emotional state as he's getting angrier and angrier. Maybe that's the intention of it, but it's it comes out of nowhere. There's nothing else. Everything else in this movie is staged in a very kind of boring, straight on way. In fact, I laughed out loud when I saw first saw the shot of the picnic because it was the most unnatural picnic shot. They clearly said. We have to get the picnic in basically one angle. So it's like <laughs> Simon Chain's lying on the ground in the foreground. <laughs> Gussie's on one side. Um, uh, Dr. What's his name? Lufin is on the other side. And then Ed Lautner walks right up the middle of the shot. It's sort of like all four of their faces are facing the camera. It's ludicrous. And and particularly Simon Chain lying on the ground looks like the least comfortable way. At one point, he's eating lying on his back, which is not a very natural position. <laughs> you know what? That's, that's what it reminded me of. You know, you're like, it's like the old sitcom thing where people are sitting around a table, but they're all on one side of the table. <laughs> yes. And it's like, it, it was yes. that sort of thing. You're like, well, why are they all like this? You're like, yeah, well, it's faster. <laughs> yeah. The filmmaking is odd because you're right. It's pretty straightforward, boring for the most part. But then there's these Dutch angles. And even throughout the, the entire pilot, anytime Dr. Shane's supposed to remember something, they will do a flash cut. To somewhere else. They just do these flash cuts that are never commented on, but they're just supposed to be like a quick reminder. But they seem almost too modern, like too modern an editing technique for this movie. I totally agree. That was shocking the first time that happened. Because it really is like a you're cutting to like a quarter of a second of a memory. Like it's like it's super fast. Uh, but there's everything else. Meanwhile, other shots go on for three minutes. Like a very strange thing to have these like micro cuts. Yeah, it was very bizarre. I was just like, I can't tell if this is well made or really poorly made. What is happening? <laughs> I like that they're later on, uh, we already talked about they were in the lab, but I think it's later on, I think maybe the first time Gus, when he introduces Gussie to the um, the laboratory, they walk through every room that's possible. I was like, <laughs> I, I'm, I appreciate that you're letting me know about the, geog- the geography of this place 45 minutes into the show, but like, you could have done this throughout, and also like, this is way too much now. It was just like, I was like, just, just have the door open and you're in the lab, not like, and this is where we put our coats. Anyways, it's like, this is too much. This is the escape route. It's like, okay, just get to the get to the clones. <laughs> well, the pilot does start picking up now, because while Dr. Shane is off in Washington, just asking anyone on the street if they've heard of his cloning project, uh, Mr. Salt has had a change of heart about getting some, a progress report on his investment, which is a very odd. He, he killed a man, or he put a man in a living death for even, like, bugging an office. But he's like, you know what? Actually, I would like to know where my money's going now. Uh, let's kidnap Dr. Luthen. Let's kidnap him off the street. <laughs> and kidnapping him to what effect exactly? Were they trying to get him? Like there was this whole plot thing about two briefcases, which seemed to be mentioned a few times and then never developed. There's a whole thing about, um, they say Dr. Luthen has two briefcases that are with him at all times, which is not true because we <laughs> see him all the time without briefcases. And then when Harry first comes in and says, that scene you were describing where he says, guys, we have to have some progress report for our $90 million. At the end of that scene, um, uh, Dr. Luthen says, oh, give him the briefcase. Give him the other briefcase, please, Simon. And Simon gives him a briefcase. So I don't know what was, I don't know what, were were there secret plans for the cloning process that existed? And that's what they were trying to get by, by kidnapping him? 
My assumption was that other briefcase originally that he gave to Harry was fake progress reports for the failing rabbit cloning process. Like, oh, I, okay. I, my assumption was he just had, like, a bunch of junk. Because Dr. Luthen goes on a long, long rant about how you got to fuck these politicians around <laughs> or they're going to fuck you over. So he's like, it seems like he's always playing some sort of game. Like, Dr. Luthen seems like a real paranoid man. <laughs> yes, he does. But he is kidnapped here for reasons that are difficult to say. I guess Dr. Salt is hoping he'll just get some an update on his rabbit cloning. But Dr. Shane essentially returns home because Gussie gives him the news that Dr. Luthen is missing. And, um, you know, he comes back. When he can't find Luthen at the clone lab and the police have no leads, he uh, sort of is running out of options and returns back to his office to find Mr. Salt waiting inside. And now Mr. Salt is basically showing up in, in another set of lies that's happening here. He explains that... He's replacing Harry as his contact with the government. And they give a quick explainer to Mr. Stalt about how cloning works. We get like a weird three-minute scene with Gussie where she's explaining how how you clone an object, which I guess maybe in this period of time, cloning wasn't like a common scientific thought. And Mr. Stalt explains to Harry, he's like, listen, with hair, or sorry, Mr. Stalt explains to Dr. Shane, that with Harry missing, his handlers back in Washington have decided to give the green light to start cloning humans. Despite the fact that Dr. Shane has produced no results so far, he's got the green light. He can go ahead and start human cloning. I didn't even think of that. He's been failing consistently on rabbits. And they're like, you know what? Go for broke. Go for broke. Go for it. <laughs> and Dr. Shane's just like, all right, this is all too suspicious for me now. Dr. Luthen's missing. I've been pretending to have no results at all. And now I get the go ahead from my handlers to make humans. So he's just like, I'll do it, but I want to meet with this government committee who I could not find in Washington yesterday uh, before I start doing it. And Mr. Sell's like, no problem. Fly to Washington tomorrow. We'll we'll have a meeting with all your government handlers and you'll, you'll get the go-ahead there. And this is actually perfect timing for her, Dr. Shane because he's just like, I can't go tonight because all my clones are getting born. So <laughs> finally... Finally, like 45 minutes, almost an hour into this movie, he's just like, I got to get to the lab. I've got to recruit Gussie because I don't have enough hands. And it's time to birth some human clones. Woo! And it is funny because up to this point, they keep flashing on the screen like periodically, like a countdown to how I think they say clone delivery in whatever, seven hours, clone delivery in five hours. But it, it was such a weird thing because I was like, is this adding any tension at all? Like, we know the clones are coming. That's why we're here. That's why we tuned in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Just to let you know, it's going to happen. It doesn't yeah. seem like it's going to happen, but it will. We're going to get there. <laughs> but yes, they go there. They they empty the clone tubs. Their clones are just in bathtubs, I guess. They're just kind of like fluid-filled bathtubs. And of course, I mean, to no one's surprise, I'm sure, all of the clones are exact clones of Dr. Shane. He just cloned himself 13 times. I loved when they when you get the first shot, because oh, you know it's going to be in there, but it's that first shot of Art Hindle clearly holding his breath underwater. And I loved it so much because it's it, it just is so clearly he's holding his breath. It's not like there's not a naturalistic sort of like he's going to come into consciousness. It's just a guy. He might as well have been blue in the face with his cheeks all puffed out. It was just great. <laughs> but there is a little surprise when the first clone comes out because they don't really know what a clone's going to be like. They've done, this is the first one, they've not done enough research into figuring it out. They just went straight to making 13 human clones. And they're very surprised to find he has all of Dr. Stone's memories right up to the moment that Dr. Luthen took a cell sample that they could clone. So these clones know everything that happened to him up to the exact moment a cell was taken out of his body. 
Well, and and before you even get to that point, let's say you're you're uh, uh, Doctor Simon Simon Shane there. So you figured this out. You know you're going to get a clone. You would start with one, wouldn't you? You'd start with one. You wouldn't go. <laughs> I'm going to do thirteen. Because what if what if it's what if it comes out and I mean, like what if it's Gremlins? It's evil. Or what if it uh, it it's <laughs> mm-hmm. e- like even worse? It has some sort of uh, mental uh, issues where it's like it's just creating problems. There's so many things. It's like, and you want 13 of those? Just start with one. I mean, I thought the same thing because he's just like, we don't know if they'll be smart. We don't know what they'll be. I'm like, you made so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> the test one would have been better. <laughs> it's like making cookies. You have to make a whole batch. <laughs> First, a couple are burned. No big deal. <laughs> But it's not the end of the bizarre coincidence. It's not just that this clone knows everything about his life and is him. The clone doesn't, for some reason, recognize the face of himself (laughs) until he's handed a mirror. And I was just like, so this clone knows everything about your life, knows everything up to the moment you you were cloned. But he talks to you for five straight minutes and doesn't recognize himself. Yeah, but does recognize himself as soon as he looks in the mirror. Yeah, as soon as he sees that mirror of himself, he's like, oh, we're the same. Yeah. Yeah, that was absolutely baffling. The fact he does not remember until... until, He seems to remember everything about himself the moment he wakes up. He's kind of indignantly describing his intellectual credentials right away, right? He's like, I'm a doctor. I have two PhDs or whatever. But he does not remember he was involved in a cloning experiment until prime Dr. Shane pokes at him about that. He's like, oh, yeah. And then there was, we were taking cells or whatever. And then, yeah, the other thing of not identifying him, uh, that the face looking at him is his face until he's looking at a piece of glass, which shows him that his face looks just like the face he's looking at. And I know it wasn't the point of the scene, but I'm just saying it would have been funnier if they wanted to go the way, if every time he looked in the mirror and then looked back at himself, it was like, what? And then they'd keep punching in. You? Me? And they just kept <laughs> punching it every time. I'm just saying, we'd all be laughing if they did that. <laughs> I mean, I did like, though, that this clone, as soon as he finally is confronted by the reality of it, he is so cool with being a clone. I think his exact quote is, I'm a clone, I know it, and I don't mind. <laughs> I'm like, okie dokie. <laughs> well, because you, they have to do that because otherwise it makes it's too complicated for a 1978 TV series, right? You can't have a whole episode of these clones having this existential crisis as to what they are and what that means. and Do they have a soul? It's like, he's like, I guess it's fine. I guess I'll call you Papa. I mean, they do spare 30 seconds for that one clone to have a small existential crisis. And then they sedate him. And I guess that clone's fine after. Yeah, I was trying to figure that out. Does that clone wake up from the sedation and then now he's over his clone anxiety and he's just totally cool with being number eight or whatever? Because the rest of them really are like, what's your number? I'm number six. I'm number four. They're totally cool with it. That is so funny. Like, they're like, well, if I'm a clone, I can't also be Dr. Shane. And Dr. Shane's like, well, why don't you name yourself? He's like, okay, I'll be number one. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Oh, and there's there's a scene coming up when uh, eventually uh, Gussie, uh, there's like, oh, you know, one of the clones is back with her working on stuff and the actual Simon Shane is out doing other things. I was sure, I was sure they were going to have a scene where her and one of the clones are going to start making out. And it'd be like an awkward thing later when he comes back and she's started a relationship with one of the clones. But you know, missed opportunity. Totally. There's a lot of episodes. They're going to get to it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and Jordan, we've mentioned this. I think you just said a little while ago, and I said it off the top, but I found it extremely unnerving that all of the clones decided to refer to Dr. Shane as either father or papa yeah. at all times. It was so disturbing <laughs> to have a grown man refer to another grown man who he is identical to, unironically, as papa. Thank you, papa. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you're you're the daddy or whatever. You're the papa. 
And now it's like, clone daddy, what should we do next? <laughs> it was so bizarre. But the it's this whole sequence is the best sequence, obviously, of the show. Because we get all this. We get all these clones learning their clones and, like, coming to accept it. And then they introduce another wrinkle in that Dr. Shane and his clones can telepathically communicate with each other due to be being on, quote, the same wavelength. The exact same Precisely wavelength. the same wavelength. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's so bizarre. I mean, the clones, for some reason, can't communicate with each other, but they can all talk to Dr. Shane. He can talk back to them only with mental powers. And the clones can also look through Dr. Shane's eyes whenever they want and just see whatever he's seeing. Like, it's, it's a bizarre introduction of, like, the superpower of being the clone master. <laughs> totally. At any rate, uh, Dr. Shane, Gussie, and the clones, they spend the rest of the night basically birthing 13 other clones. And they're like, all right, we're good. We've got all these clones out. And Dr. Shane needs to go to Washington. He's like, I got to go in the morning. I got to meet with these people who are apparently my handlers in the government. But he's suspicious, as we know. He doesn't know why they want him to get into human cloning despite producing no results. So he's just like, you know what's a great plan? I'm going to bring four clones with me to Washington so that we can do a spy caper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I, I want to say, though, I have to say the actual, like, uh, um, uh, technical work of having the clones in the same scene uh, or Art Hindle playing all the parts, I thought it looked pretty good. Like, I, yeah. I, I know they do a few things later on where they have the kind of cast in shadows and it's just you hear the voice and so you can't really see who they are. But I thought the scenes where they did all together, I was like, that looks pretty seamless. Like, I, I thought it was pretty well done. Yeah, there's a couple of really adventuresome shots there where there's like three or more Hindles at one time. Um, although I'm, I feel certain that that would never happen in the series. That that was pilot stuff. That mm-hmm. wouldn't be series stuff. They get on thirteen separate airplanes at the end. <laughs> this wasn't the Orphan Black of 1978. <laughs> I also, speaking of airplanes, I I feel like the show kind of let us down when. They made a joke about getting on the airplane together and the stewardess recognized them all. But then we don't actually see the airplane ride. We we never see them together when they decide to make that trip, which is a bit of a drag because when you see them in Washington pulling off the caper, it's fun. But I, I would like to have seen them all sitting in economy next to each other in their disguises, air quote disguises. Yeah. It would have been good because when we do see them in their disguises, it's like one's wearing a hat, one's wearing glasses, and one has like a fake mustache. And I'm like, exactly. this is pretty good. One of them has a pipe. I thought there's a mustache. <laughs> right. that was the whole I don't recognize that man anymore. <laughs> He's holding a pipe. <laughs> in Washington, though, with his clone, Shane then goes and he attends this roundtable meeting with Mr. Salt and it's got some military brass on it and some Senate employees. Um, But of course, he's using his psychic powers to talk to his clone children the whole time. And I got to say, I was kind of impressed by old Dr. Shane here because he's having a conversation (laughs) out loud while also having a psychic conversation in the same, like at the same moment with his clones. And I'm like, how is he multitasking like that? No, it was pretty incredible because they actually fade out his dialogue as he's saying, well, the nucleus of the embryo would be whatever he's saying to the to the guys about his cloning experiments. They fade that sound out, implying he's continuing to prattle on while then cutting to his interior monologue as he's having those uh, conversations. Again, another scene. I know they didn't want it to be funny, but what would have begun is he started, like you were saying, Kevin, he's like, oh, the nucleus of the embryo. And then it goes to him talking to uh, his clones. But what they see is him just going, yeah. <laughs> like and they're like are you having a stroke and he's like oh sorry anyways yeah and he just you know he's trailing off he thinks he's he's doing real well but like it's not it's not right. what the show wants to do but we see the value of psychic communication in clones here because 
Using his uh, communication, the clones outside of the room are able to determine everyone at this meeting is an imposter. Like, one of them's at the Library of Congress comparing their the visuals of them that Dr. Shane can see to their, like, I guess, yearbook photos in the Congress yearbook. <laughs> and they're like, okay, none of these people are real. Another one of the clones, he looks into the meeting room they're meeting. They're like, why, that's no secret meeting room. It's a boardroom leased to NBC. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> But essentially, Dr. Shane uses this moment to be like, I know you're all they're all fake now, so I'm going to demand the return of Dr. Luthen, saying it's the only way I can like get into human cloning. This is like his only basically card he feels like he has to get Dr. Luthen back. He's like, I'll do the cloning of humans, but I need Dr. Luthen's help. And the committee's like, all right, great. We'll get Dr. Luthen back to you if that'll get the cloning started. And uh, that's sort of, sort of the gambit he plays here. He's just like, I know this isn't real. I know this isn't government, but I think this might be my best chance of getting Dr. Luthen back. And so Dr. Shane leaves the meeting. He sort of heads home back to the university, and he's hoping this will bring back his, his lost mentor. And we all know as the audience that Dr. Salt, or Dr. Salt, Mr. Salt is the bad guy. And He's now in a position to have to return Dr. Luthen, who he kidnapped for reasons we don't fully understand. And I thought this was an insane sequence, but like, I guess the only way they could figure out on how to move the plot forward. But he's left a meeting. He's asked for Dr. Luthen's return. And Mr. Shane or Mr. Salt has to make a decision now. And what we see is him playing pool by himself in a room, I guess, at his mansion. And as he's playing pool, he just starts getting angrier and angrier by himself at Dr. Shane in absentia. Like, he's just, like, thinking back on that meeting he had. He's getting madder and madder, and he's just like, you know what? I'm going to kill Dr. Shane. And then he just breaks the pool cue over his knee, and I was just like, this is such a crazy sequence for this guy. He's just like, he just got so frustrated. Three hours later, he's like, oh, that's it. I'm killing this man. <laughs> it is totally bonkers. It's a, a self-motivated uh, why I oughta moment that's what drives the rest of the episode. Yeah, it's crazy. He thinks that Dr. Shane can do the research by himself, right? So isn't the idea of, of kidnapping uh, Ezra, whatever his name is, what's his name? Luthen. 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 Isn't the point of uh, kidnapping him as a motivator to make, I don't know how it would, but is it, is it supposed to be a motivator to make Dr. Shane work harder? No, it doesn't, because he doesn't know that Mr. Salt has kidnapped Dr. Luthen to work. He, right. he seems to have kidnapped Dr. Luthen to just get information about the project. And now when he learns that the only way the project can move forward with Dr. Luthen, he gets very mad. Because as we'll see in this next scene, he goes to see, he, he basically shows up at Dr. Shane's office with a gun. Mr. Salt's like, well, I'm here. I decided I would kill you while playing pool. So I'm, I'm here to kill you. <laughs> and he... Mr. Salt, like, lays it all out. He's just like, I'm not from the government. I'm just a rich guy who wants to sell clones to people. I've been funding your whole experiments. And he's like, I was excited to get started. I thought you were the clone master, but now you're telling me you need a Dr. <laughs> Luthen. But unfortunately, one of my henchmen, he's a bit of a hothead. He murdered Dr. Luthen off screen. <laughs> yeah. And he goes on to say, he's just like, in fact, not only did Dr. Luthen get murdered, I'm pretty sure Dr. Luthen committed suicide by henchmen. So that he didn't have to tell me anything. I'm just like, whoa, what is happening here? There's so much exposition to a thing that happened with Dr. Luthen. <laughs> Pretty good. I think, but I think it's just, it's that funny thing like you're saying, Kevin, they don't have him available, right? So it's like, right. oh, he's just off screen, off screen, all this stuff happened. I know, I know you as a viewer are thinking, that's pretty interesting stuff. I would have liked to have seen it filmed. Like, no, 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 <laughs> don't worry. We'll just tell you re real quick. 
But in the act of kidnapping him, we did end up getting, uh, us the viewers did get a Ralph Bellamy car chase scene, which was something right. that, you know, we didn't even know we wanted. And it was, <laughs> it was so true. We did get a great car chase. I yeah. forgot about that. That's right. Because he gets cornered at one point and he goes, that's it. I'm going through the fence. And I thought that was great. He just drove right through the fence. And I was like, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was a move. <laughs> Dr. Salt, of course, can't kill Dr. Shane on the spot or Mr. Salt, rather. He's not a doctor. I'm sorry. He's an engineer, as he tells us repeatedly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he can't kill him immediately because he's invested $90 million into this project. And he at least wants the research on failed cloning of rabbits before he leaves. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I'll go find somebody else. Let's at least build off of the research I've already invested in. So he essentially takes Dr. Shane hostage. He's like, let's go to your lab. Let's just get your notes. I'm just going to take my notes that I've paid for. And then I'm going to kill you. And of course, Dr. Shane telepathically communicates with his clones, tells them to get all the research out of there, put it in Gussie's car, and just, you know, get out of the way. We're, I'm coming in there with this uh, this evil man who's paid for all our experiments. And so they, they head off to his thing. I think Salt's idea was he was just going to take the research and just cross out the word rabbit and just replace it with human. And then just sell that, because that works, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's fine. It's just like someone else can take it over from here. I'll sell it for $180 million. Yeah, there you go. And when they get to the, you know, they get to the lab, we get to walk through the whole lab again, see the whole thing. It's very funny. Mr. Salt comes into the cloning lab, and he's like looking at all the cloning tubs, like huge human-sized cloning tubs. He's like... Well, these these cloning tubs are really big. Like you almost put a human in them, and he's like, "Yeah, I didn't though. I didn't put a human in them, rabbits." And he's like, "Okay, well, let's see that research." See, I would have said, "This is a huge building. It's it's just the two of you work here. You walk all the way across there. You must have to run across the room if if you get an emergency signal." <laughs> But thankfully for Dr. Shane, his clones have set a trap to save him from Mr. Salt. They set up a fire alarm and then around the entire building have rigged a series of propane tubes to shoot fake fireballs out to imply that the facility is on fire without it actually being on fire, I guess. Yeah, this was really iffy. I couldn't quite get my head around why wouldn't they just set it on fire? Like, on one hand, you think scorched earth, right? Burn the lab down, and that way he'll never get your any results of your research, even though the actual papers they've already put in Gussie's car. But then I thought, oh, no, it's a TV series, and they built all those sets. So they are, they're trying to find a logical way that salt never comes back there in future episodes, but that prime Dr. Simon Shane can still be working there in future episodes in those giant sets. That's, that, that's all I could figure, because there's no other reason to leave them standing. That makes sense. And I th- I think, like, this wasn't this is not a bad sequence. It's probably one of the more action-packed sequences that they do, and we're going to talk about them as firefighters and stuff. But it, it seemed like a missed uh, opportunity, though, doesn't it? Like, isn't this the scene? You have Salt there. He doesn't really know what's happening. This is a perfect, like, Clark Kent Superman sort of scene, isn't it? Where I don't know what it would have been, but the clones come in and pretend to be different people or to pretend to be, like, mm. uh, Dr. Shane or something. It's just like, well, that's that's what I think you want that's the kind of fun scenario um either it's like awkward for the clone or um you know they're trying to having to tap dance a little bit or they they're doing a bunch of things at once but it's like no they'll all just they'll be the firefighters yep yeah it's very weird they just all we really see is them running hose with like and lighting propane fires as dr Saul or dr shane and mr salt run away um the clones are able to like swap out finally they do do kind of a little bit of a swap where one of the clones takes dr shane's jacket and dresses him and when mr salt gets outside he sees him he sees what he thinks is dr shane running away and shoots him in the back 
Um, but the clones swapped places so that the real Dr. Sane wouldn't get shot. And then, like, firefighters are pulling up. Like, I don't know when the firefighters got the alarm or who called them, but they're arriving, like, immediately when the fire happens. And they are able to see that Dr. Shane shot so- or Dr. Salt, Mr. Salt shot someone. So he's like, now the world knows he's a bad guy or something. But also, does it matter that they switched it to a clone to get shot? Because all of the clones have the exact amount of expertise and knowledge that he does. So who cares if Simon dies? It doesn't matter that one of them can take over. Ah, they don't have psychic powers, though. Oh, I suppose that's true. Yeah, Yeah, it's true. There is, you raise a good point, though, Jordan, because it would, in a way, be more interesting if Papa did die, right? If if the story (laughs) going forward became about these clones who were now kind of leaderless and directionless and trying to find their Mm -hmm. way in the world, except they're all kind of too perfect anyway. Because like you say, they're exactly him, except for the mental power. And I guess the memories from the day after the cell sample was taken up till now, like whatever that was, six weeks whatever that's all they're missing but i there's a there's definitely a series in that idea uh the directionless clones released out into the world but nope well the show's called the clone master not the clone babies (laughs) that's true very true but yes it is a weird sequence he one of the clones gets shot in the back i guess to save his father from getting shot and then Mr. Salt drives away. All these firemen have seen it happen, so they know he's a bad guy. And they run over to the clone who's been shot. And, like, you think it's going to be an emotional sequence where, like, <laughs> one of the clones has sacrificed himself. And they turn the clone over, and he's just like, it just hit me in the shoulder. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> like, he's like, I got to go to the hospital. But, like, isn't it, like, it's just a shoulder shot. Like, he's so nonchalant about it. And they're like, all right, well, bring him to the hospital. He'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, Totally bizarre. And again, those firefighters arriving so quickly, every establishing shot we saw of this place showed it as being on like what test drive road or whatever it was like this. You saw yeah. that and it's dusty and there's mountains in the background. Like you get the impression we are in the Mojave Desert or something. We are very far away from any civilization and it's not even a real fire. Who pulled the fire alarm? It's a real like, mystery. It doesn't seem to make any sense at all. But it is all, I think, for the penultimate scene here where Mr. Salt's at home. He's watching the news. The news is talking about how there was a fire at this facility, how this man shot Dr. Dr. Shane, and now there's a manhunt for him. So, Dr. You know, I guess the idea in this series is that Mr. Salt can't show his face around. He's a wanted man or something. Maybe that's a setup for that. And that Dr. Shane has been released from the hospital now. So, um... Mr. Salt immediately picks up his phone. He's got a henchman on the line. He's just like, yeah, we're, we tracked Dr. Shane from the hospital. And he went to a travel agent and bought 13 one-way tickets. It's going to take a long time to track him down. <laughs> All season. I mean, year. I mean, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Mr. S- Mr. Salt, he vows. He'll, get, he'll track him down. And then as the camera pulls away from Mr. Salt, he wonders out loud. He says this to himself. Did he do it? I was like, does Mr. Salt suddenly realize he made cl- human clones? I don't understand why he's saying, did he do it? Mm, yeah, me neither. I didn't understand that. It was just like, Mr. Salt just suddenly had a brainwave. He's like, oh, he did create human clones. I finally figured it out. I'm like, what? What does this mean? <laughs> At any rate, we get to the final shot of the show. The, the real setup for what a long-running mm-hmm. TV series around the Clone Master would be is Dr. Shane and Gussie are putting the final clone onto a plane. <laughs> And they're discussing how they've given all the clones new names, new haircuts, and colored contact lenses, so no one will mistake them for him. <laughs> like, that's the big one, right? Because if you, if you meet someone who looks exactly like, you know, Paul Newman, but he doesn't have those blue eyes, you go, well, I guess it can't be Paul Newman. Move yeah. on, right? <laughs> and 
as part of the setup, they start wondering, it's like, now that these clones are off in the world, what will they do? It's like, will they pursue some of Dr. Shane's other dreams he wasn't able to when he committed himself to cloning? Will they develop divergent personalities of their own? Well, they probably will. <laughs> and just to drive it home, the final thing is they push in on uh, Dr. Shane's face, and his mind is filled with messages from his clones. But these are clearly messages he'll receive, like, throughout the court. Like, these are examples of messages that he might receive throughout the series. And what he hears is like a clone asking him for advice on love, a clone t- asking him about aging and why it's so difficult, a clone saying that he's been arrested, and then another clone being like, I'm in Paris and I think Mr. Salt saw me. And it just, I'm like, okay, I get it. These are going to be future adventures. I got it. I got it. And, and those future, most of those examples of those future adventures sort of assume a completely different show because they're assuming that these are naive yeah. creatures who don't understand humanity. Like they're like Data from Star Trek, going, "What is it to feel love?" But no, that's they're entirely the same as him up till the moment that the cell sample was taken. It makes no sense at all. It is interesting though, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit. It's just like this is really the setup for what a regular episode of this show would be. And tell me if you think I'm wrong or if you think there's a different version of this. But I got the sense that, like, every episode would just be one clone calls out to his papa. He's like, Papa, I need some help. I'm dating a girl and, like, I don't know what wine to pick. Or, Papa, I've I've started a nuclear war. I need your help. Like, the the stakes can be, like, super low or super high. Like, it it seems like it's going to be a little bit of an anthology show, maybe? Where just, like... Each clone has its own life, and Papa just, like, call, their dad drops by and just checks up on them. Yeah, and based on those examples from the end, it is not going to be an action show, which is very strange because that's what the the premise of the show seems to imply, some sort of sci-fi action. But that last 30 seconds does not imply that at all, other than the I'm in jail or uh, Mr. Salt saw me in Paris or whatever. But you know they're not doing a Paris episode. They can't afford to go to Paris. <laughs> There might be an action episode here and there, but sometimes it's going to be a very mundane kitchen sink drama. Yeah, yeah, totally. And there's, you know, I think the failure of it from a 70s TV point of view is 70s TV shows had very strong premises that they only varied slightly from episode to episode. Like once you got what an Incredible Hulk episode was or a Columbo episode they or a Quincy episode, they stayed in their lane all the time very rare that they did anything outside of that and this is like well there is no lane because it might be about falling in love or it might be about learning of the what a soul is or what it is to age or how what it is to grieve or whatever that's it's a different story every time and i mean i'm sure they would have a cheesy 70s way of resolving it but sending them all across the country you know they're not gonna be able to achieve 13 different looks yeah, yeah. I thought it was interesting, too, because, you know, really late in the episode when the clones finally are there and they go on their first adventure together, the implication is this show is going to be a bit, of, a bit like a Mission Impossible show where you have a team of people, but their their specialty is they can all telepathically communicate. So there's like this really tightly round team unsolving mysteries and stuff like that implies that's going to be the show. Like there's going to be the clone master and like a dozen clones running around solving things with the because only they can solve these things due to their powers. But the final part is just like, no, 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 no. These clones are never getting back together. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. The best part of the show was watching the clones surprisingly get along. Like, I I, I totally agree with you that the, the reason that there isn't clone identity anxiety in this isn't because the show is mature, right? It's because mm-hmm. in a 70s TV action show aimed primarily probably at kids and teenagers, they just couldn't get into, you know, the existential questions of what, what life really is 
if you're a duplicate of somebody else. But still, that I, I expected more of that. Because again, those moments that I saw in that TV special from 1996, it was all the different guys saying, all the different clones going, I'm Simon Shane. No, I'm Simon Shane. And then the one guy goes, <laughs> so are we all? Which is just a great line. <laughs> Because I'm like, well, yeah, you guys are. I'm to be clear, I'm not Simon Shane. But but just the idea of guys arguing for their personality and their identity, that that feels like the sales pitch of this. But no, it ends up being this sort of positive team experience of these guys working together. This total Mission Impossible thing, but then does not pay off at the end of the show. That is not the promise of this pilot. And Kevin, you know if Robert Heinlein wrote this, you know what those clones would be doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh it's yeah. Very different well, there would have been Probably one girl clone. That's right. In that case, there would have been some gender swap clone. And, but and did someone, you notice who did write this? And someone would be like, "This is the perfectly natural way the future should be." You'd be like, uh huh. Okay, Robert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> did you notice who did write this? No, who did write it? John D. F. Black, who is one of the architects of the original Star Trek. I think oh. he was the first story editor on the show, and he wrote a bunch of episodes. He didn't get along with Mr. Roddenberry, and I believe he left before the first season was out. But he was integral in the setup of the first whatever 10 or 15 scripts of the show so hmm. big trek credentials i don't think this was terribly well written so i don't know i mean for all the things that we've said for the fact that you can't quite track the plot from moment to moment Kevin, i think know. we pointed out there are two suitcases for no reason so i think uh, it's a pretty well written pilot <laughs> can i just point out too that i understand the appeal of clones and i remember around this time because i was a kid around this time i didn't see this originally but just the idea of clones and science fiction being a fun, cool thing. And it was always like this, where you could make a full person with all their memories. And they, you know, the idea that, you know, when you, when you learn later, well, no, they'd have to gestate from the womb and they would only be genetically identical. They wouldn't be identical in any other way. But, you know, that was shocking to uh, to, to young Kevin. But uh, even given that, that the, I understand the fascination with clones. What exactly is the money to be made? I know he says he can sell this process to different countries, but the fact is we already know how to make people. Making people is not a hard thing to do historically. The only thing that they reference in the episode as being an advantage is that Gussie, because she's a girl, says that you could make a whole bunch of Robert Redfords. That's right. <laughs> I assumed it was just clone soldiers. Well, that's well, the only no, thing I that's, could think. That's a good point, yes. If the gestation period is fast and these people are essentially mindless drones, then yes, a military is great because that you don't have to worry about it. You just program in whatever. There are some sort of killing machines or they have one sort of specialty. That makes sense. But if you're cloning from a person who has all the memories, this it makes some real problems for that. So you're right. I don't know what the money is other than, than the patent. Well, hey, but you know what, though? that You just raised a great point because if the clones that are created in this world are all the same as the ones created on this show, there would be all these military advantages. Their original, their prime person, their clone oh, master could read their minds. They could go out into the battlefield together. And the one guy didn't mind getting shot at all for a cause. He was like, yeah, cool. I'll get shot in the back. It's fine. So, uh, you know, no, uh, no hesitation to go into uh, the trenches if you're a clone, apparently. But it just seemed like there was a, uh, it was an unspoken thing about how, oh, it would be hugely advantageous to understand this process and be able to sell it. And I felt like, really, is that clear that that would be a huge advantage? I mean, I know science has been chasing it for a long time, but that's because science chases things, not because there's necessarily a, a billion dollars to be made from, you know, cloning uh, rabbits or whatever. Hey, Mr. Salt was only put $90 million into a failed rabbit cloning experiment. It was worth it. Was it important that he had like a Nazi accent? He had a just enough German in his voice. He sounded like a Nazi officer. Like, I don't know if that was supposed to be meaningful. 
they tried to ask him at one point where he was from and he sort of said he's like i'm from whatever country has money laying around <laughs> like the indication he just like travels the world like swindling governments <laughs> i guess oh too funny I do think, though, in subsequent episodes, you would guarantee at least once an episode, sort of like you mentioned Incredible Hulk, you know, once an episode, you know that uh, uh, they didn't call him Bruce Banner in the show. What did they call him? Bill Bixby? David Banner. David Banner. Because Bruce was considered an effeminate name at the time. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, supposedly, yeah. But you knew once an episode, he's going to get mad, he's going to get made angry, his eyes are going to roll back and everything, and you're like, okay, here comes the Hulk. This, I think, at least once an episode, you're going to have two Art Hindles. In one scene, but like that's probably all they'll yes. be able to do. It, it'll be the entire time they'll be separate, and then in one scene they'll be together, and they'll be like, "All right, we've that's all we can pay for." Yeah, no, I I totally agree. They they will because they'll have to pay off on that premise sometimes, mm-hmm. but they'll never do it. Like there was one shot in this, it was a hilarious shot, but it was really well done. Where I can't remember what it is. They're, they're calling for the clones to help, and and there's a shot of like eight of them like hanging around, like one's in the foreground with his arms crossed, one's sitting in a chair in the background. And it was just hilarious to think that without instructions from Dr. Simon Shane, they're all just like, I don't know, what do you want to do? Watch TV, I don't know, we got to hang around here, I don't know. But it was it was an artful shot. I think there were a couple in the background that were probably just other actors who had this similar profile to Art Hindle, but it was it was great. But I doubt you'll ever see that again, because I'm sure that was expensive and timely. Mm-hmm. You know, and t- it took a lot of time to do. You know what, though? Art Hindle did a great job. There's long sequences where he talks to himself and, like, looks away and looks back. And he really nailed those. He was, like, ahead of his time. He was he should have been in Marvel movies. He was so good at acting against There's nothing. There's still time. There's still time. <laughs> yeah, he's still alive. Bring him back, Marvel. <laughs> yeah, I think he did a good job, actually, in all the ways. Like, as a 70s leading man, he was perfectly fine. And I was actually impressed with Ralph Bellamy, because when I saw his name at the beginning... It's like, have you ever watched the late 70s movie that Henry Fonda is in? And you know right away, like, oh, Henry's going to be sitting behind a desk. Like, Henry <laughs> took took this job understanding there would be no walking involved. But not only is Ralph in a whole bunch of scenes, in a whole bunch of locations, and walking and being spry and arguing, whatever. At one point, the clone machine's broken, and he just pops off the lid and gets down there like he's fixing a fridge. He's lying on the floor. He asks for a wrench. <laughs> it's The only thing I did think was that the space underneath that, that cloning machine was pretty big like there was enough room to fit a ralph bellamy in there like they didn't you know they didn't they weren't using the space very wisely but but it was good for when you have problems and you got to get in there with your mm-hmm. wrench yeah yeah get right in that tube and fix it i was also thought the same thing i'm like just put that board on the outside you guys <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's get to some ratings here kevin uh, since you're the guest why don't you start us off you know how this works at a at a 10 sort of uh, possible stars how are you feeling I'm, about Clone i'm gonna Master? give it i'm gonna give it a high rating i was disappointed by the slowness of the first hour um, but it really cooked in the second hour, and uh, the, the the ridiculous plot points kept me more intrigued than anything else. I don't want to credit the show for them, but just as a viewer, I did lean in a lot, saying, "Wait a minute! So they don't know who's giving them the money? And why did that guy park his car so close to the ocean? I don't understand." Because there was a parking lot right behind him, and that's where uh, that's where the other guy parked his car, and that's where Harry parked his car. But anyway, I would say I would give it I'd give it an eight. As far as my enjoyment of it goes, I'm solid eight out of ten. I think I agree with you. I know that there it, there's the argument to be made for that opening being too slow, but I found it so fun and bizarre watching them like go to Washington and just ask people where they got. Like, I was just like, I'm fine. I actually like this show. I maybe like it more than what a regular episode would have been. I'm happy to watch them wander around trying to figure out where they got their money from. So I was having a good time. And then you know when the clones finally show up, we're getting all the great special effects. We're having a fun time there. I'm gonna go seven point five. 
Okay, and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go pretty close. I'm gonna give it a seven. I have to. I would have given it an eight, but I gotta take off a point for the first forty-five minutes. You just have to take a point off. But I thought it was pretty good. I liked. I like the. Uh, uh, I love seeing um, like reel-to-reel tapes in um, in laboratories. That's one of my favorite things. And I love like just <laughs> just the low, the old those old sets where like they always just look the same with the buttons and the computers. And I thought they looked good. And I thought, like we've said, I thought Art Hindle was really good in the in the role in both doing this kind of weird role and like you said kevin being like your kind of classic leading man i was like oh he's pretty good mm. a great head of hair and uh <laughs> and yeah i thought it was it was pretty good it was just like an enjoyable kind of fun fun little little thing like does it have legs for a series i think not i just don't know i just don't think it would have worked but like as as a one-off like you could do worse and the fact that it sometimes didn't make sense kind of helped in a weird way because it wasn't predictable i mean i wish I wish it did make a little more sense. Um, but at the same time, I, I, it was never going to a place that I expected it to go. Like when they went to Washington and the plot became, we're just going to knock on the doors of various government agencies and say, by the way, are you funding me? <laughs> uh, that's pretty great. And, and so, Kevin, so, so if good. you have like a stroke and you, can, you can't speak or anything, but you're still fine, you don't want me to say you're legally dead. <laughs> Correct. Okay. Just want to make sure. Because it seems like you're legally dead, you know? He's he's of no use to me. I think he's legally dead. Yeah, like someone took the, the principle of legally blind and just said, "Well, that probably applies to dead too, right?" Probably. Yeah. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us again. This was a lot of fun watching the Clone Master with Thanks you. Thanks very much. It was great uh, to uh, to share it with you guys, and it was just great to see it. You know, it's been since 1996. The period that I've been waiting to see this movie was longer than the period between when I saw that TV special and the movie was made. Like that was only 18 years difference, or whatever it was, 20 years difference, and now it's been 30 years of me waiting to, or 27 years waiting to be able to see it, and it it lived up to my expectations. And uh, thank you very much for that. Totally worth it. <laughs> All right. Well, listener, we've got a new uh, initiative this year on the podcast, bonus episodes for charity. As longtime listeners know, occasionally we'll take the escape pod out of a series when we can't we can't take it anymore. It falls too low in the ratings. Or in this new season we're doing, this new year of the podcast, we're watching best ofs of uh, a certain long-running series. So we're watching the top three episodes of a, of a multi-season series, and we're not getting to see a lot of the episodes that are involved in it. So if you would like us to go back and watch an episode of a series that we never got to, uh, you can do a little donation to charity. The charities are picked by our past guests, and with that donation, you can send us a receipt, and we'll go back and watch an episode of your choosing as a bonus episode. We uh, recommend a donation of $50, but you can give according to your means, so don't uh, take that as a hard and fast rule. You can get more information about that at continuumdrag.podbean.com or on our social media. You'll find links to the uh, to the bonus episodes for charity um, concept there. Um, and, of course, you can always email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com if you have any questions. Um, but that about wraps up for this episode, so... Uh, we're going to have some clips from Clone Master on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and there's some good ones in here. They'll Lots all of be good from the second stuff. 45 minutes, though. Rest assured. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you find it exciting. Well, we're going to have to have an explanation for how cloning works. Yeah, exactly. And, and you could uh, have Ralph Bellamy crawling into the machine uh, oh, that's to true. fix the broken tube. Yeah, that's what, That was pretty exciting. <laughs> There, there's little, there's little tidbits all over this movie. Uh, you can find that on social media. The handle there is at Continuum Drag. But that wraps it up for this episode. So, listener, thank you for joining us. And Jordan, I will see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario, and Seoul, South Korea. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dalek and Luke Black. 
Special thanks to Aaron Younes.